Welcome to the Better Wealth Podcast, Enlightened Discipline. I'm Matt Hallern, and I'll be your host for this podcast, and I'm joined today, as always, by Scott Stoffer, an experienced financial advisor who is a designated CFP or Certified Financial Planner and the managing partner of Better Wealth. This podcast is brought to you by Better Wealth, located in California's Silicon Valley, serving individual investors and companies from around the United States. Today's podcast is going to be on a hotly contested thing in the financial services industry called an investment policy statement. And there are a lot of different ways to look at the investment policy statement. And Scott today is going to talk to us a lot about what this should be instead of what it might have been presented to you in the past. So good morning, Scott. How are you? Great, Matt. Good morning. Well, fantastic, man. Let's dive right in and uh, tell us what an investment policy statement is and why it's so important to the client. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. And um, you know, I guess one of the things. Well, let me let me tell a story first. Um, one of the programs on NPR is called What I Believe. Um, it's been around for gosh, I think in different forms since the 1950s, and it's a great little way for you know, accountants or uh, attorneys or school teachers or delivery men, you know, who, whoever it is to sort of share what are their core values? What are the things that they lean on when, when times get tough? Uh, things that they may have learned over the years from their families, uh, from their jobs, from their experiences. It's a really neat program. So I've always thought that the investment policy statement um, should really be sort of what is your um, it's what you believe about your financial goals and investments and, and what you're going to do or not do to get to your financial goals. So this IPS should really be something that shows the value of, of having these overarching uh, goals or set of beliefs about your journey, your financial goals, your investments that you're going to use, um, and then it helps you get there. So it, another way to think about it is it's, um, it's just a roadmap. Right. So before you start your journey, you can identify what are some of the things that you need to really have on your journey. And, and it can be, uh, you know, sort of that that roadmap for you. It's funny before we had GPS where everything was on our phones, you know, you used to have to. I remember when my parents when we were getting ready to go on a trip, we would go to the local AAA office and get all the local maps of the areas that we were going to go to. And, you know, we'd figure out what roads we were going to take, where we were going to stop, you know, sort of plan out the journey. So it's sort of the same thing for your investment goals. It's, it's sitting down and planning out your journey ahead of time and setting up some boundaries uh, so that you know you're going to stay on track. This is not normal, though. I, I, and I want uh, our listeners to really understand that. You're talking about a user-friendly investment policy statement, and that's not actually what most investment policy statements are that you would get from a regular Wall Street-type big branch broker advisor. So can you give us some contrast, please? Yeah, that's, you know, un unfortunately, um, I think Wall Street has made it really difficult to use an investment policy statement. Um, there, there's an appropriate use, I think, for large endowments and foundations um, where there is a committee that might be meeting to, to talk about what those investment goals should be. But in the case of the, the, the individual investor, um, you know, so many times I see these investment policy statements where they're 10, 20, 30, 40 pages long. There's a, just a ton of jargon and investment speak in there, you know, and, and in many ways they're just cookie cutter templates. I really think they're designed more about compliance and, 
and making sure that the advisor doesn't get in trouble or doesn't set him or herself up to be sued, you know, rather than making it something real that the investor can do. You know, the idea is that if we follow with this analogy of a roadmap, you know, on our journey that we're going to do, there's going to be a lot of distractions. You're going to have flat tires. You're going to have to stop and get your car repaired sometimes. You might make a wrong turn, you know. Your investment policy statement wants to give you the the information to know what to do in those situations, and you plan that out ahead of time. So unfortunately, you know, with these long documents that uh, that people you know, have, they're, they're really there's nothing real in there that lets you know what to do when you get off track or what to do when market volatility comes. So I've I've stepped back and. Uh, and created what I think are the seven key parts or key components to an investment policy statement. And then that's what we try to work on uh, with our clients. So you break it down into seven parts. So instead of having it be legal ease, which is what most of the IPS's investment policy statements that I've seen look like, you're breaking this down into actionable items. And I love the AAA analogy. Now, you and I are obviously dating ourselves talking about that because <laughs> I remember that too. I remember uh, being a delivery driver and having a, a, an actual physical map uh, that I had to somehow not drive off the road. Uh, you know, people always talk about texting and driving, but I'm telling you, man, when I looked at a map, I was all over the road too. But um, so you break these down into seven different parts. So so talk to me about what is the main focus, which I'm assuming is your number one. Yeah. You know, and again, this is what I think, um, you know, the investment policy statement should look like. And, and in many ways, it's a combination of a couple different things that we use for individual investors. But the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to start off with what are your goals? You know, where, what do you want to accomplish? And, and you need to be somewhat specific. And, and I want them to be measurable as well. Lots of times, it's not as difficult as you think. There are going to be goals around retirement. You know, when do you want to retire? Where do you want to retire? Other things like that. There are going to be maybe some goals you have around college savings if you have kids that are going to be going to college. There might be some goals around traveling. You know, there are going to be some goals around how you're going to age, um, you know, together with your, with your partner, how you're going to take care of those perhaps long-term care needs. So, the first part is really identifying, you know, these are our long-term goals. This is what we want to accomplish. And, and then this is where we want to go. Then the second part is stepping back and sort of saying, okay, if, if that's where we want to go, these are all the resources that we have. So it's really looking at what we might call a net worth statement. It's just listing all of your assets, maybe some of the liabilities you have, a mortgage, maybe a car loan or some other things. But it's really just trying to get a snapshot of what are all the resources we have available. You want to make sure you include your, your different investment accounts, savings accounts, the ones that are for, you know, that are going to be taxable, the ones that are qualified or what we call tax deferred accounts. Um, it's going to look at all those different things because you're getting ready to go on a long trip and you need to know, okay, what resources do I have? So after you've identified your goals and after you've sort of outlined what your resources are, you're going to start to really look at what are the controllable items that you have. I, I sort of call it your action items or your action list, because here we're going to have identified maybe from some retirement projection planning work, what are your savings goals? If you have a retirement plan at work, maybe a 401k or a 403b if you're a teacher or work at a nonprofit, or maybe an IRA, right? Or maybe even uh, stock options or, or restricted stock units that you might have from your companies. You're going to look at, okay, what are our savings goals and what do we need to be doing on an annual basis? These are the things we can really control. 
If it's maybe uh, later on in retirement for you, you might be looking at instead of savings goals, you might be looking at spending goals. What are my withdrawal strategies? So again, you know, the first step is coming in and saying, what are my goals? Where do I, you know, how, where do I want to go? What are my resources? What are my controllable action items? What are the things I can do that, that help me get farther on my journey? Then the, the fourth part of it is really stepping back and sort of saying, okay, if this is where I want to go, if these are the resources I have, um, how fast do I want to get there on this trip? What do I feel comfortable with? Uh, so what we're talking about here is your risk tolerance. And it's really more than just a, a questionnaire you may have done. It's, it's what I call is it's, it's a way to capture what your emotional ability is and your financial capacity to take risks. And that's uh, so we're talking about figuring out some of the aspects of your asset allocation. You know, how much are you going to have in stocks? How much are you going to have in bonds? And what that rate of return will provide for you on your trip. And this is the, what I think most traditional um, investment policy statements spend their time on. They spend their time on allocating in all kinds of details mm -hmm. what your allocation should be. And you know your your IPS as an individual investor doesn't need to have all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, you're talking about deep philosophical questions here, right? I mean, you're not messing around, and, and I want our listeners to really grasp that idea that you're talking about real life actionable items instead of an investment policy statement being this eth ethereal thing that is just another piece of paper a financial advisor gives you and even when we're just talking about you know i'm going to say number one and number three so your goals uh in your controllable items those two things scott you have to be a different kind of advisor to be able to initiate that different kind of conversation so would you mind talking to our listeners a little bit more about how you um, had this epiphany and how you have this conversation? Because these are tough questions, and a lot of listeners might think, man, I don't know if I'm ready or if I can even answer some of these questions Scott's talking about today. Yeah, I think that um, – I think in, in that sense, we become more of a coach uh, for our clients where we're really sitting down and, and helping them. Sometimes people say, yeah, I want to retire, but after that, they just don't have a lot of details. And so it's a matter of asking questions, listening, probing, really trying to help people become um, more in, aligned with, with what they want to accomplish. I think in our industry, and you know, Matt, just a little plug here, we're going to talk about this in our next podcast, which is how do you find a good coach to work with or how do you find a good financial advisor to work with? Um, I, I think in our industry, there's just been too much focus on products and not enough focus on quality advice. So uh, we tend to focus more on the quality advice. And so this investment policy statement is really one of the key things that we need to spend time working on. You know, after we've gone through step four, where we've identified you know, again, what your risk tolerance is, how fast you want to go, sort of that behavioral finance component to this. Then we're going to work with you a little bit on the rule book. Um, it's what I call step five is, you know, mm -hmm. is really writing down the, the details about the fees and expenses that you're going to have along the way with your investments. Uh, writing down a little bit about taxes and what are the short term and long term impact of taxes on your journey. Understanding what the investment philosophy is that that your financial advisor uses. Now, that's really important. And identifying the roles and responsibilities. How often are we going to check in on this investment policy statement? And that's one thing that I think is so important. It's almost as if when we meet with our clients, the investment policy statement is really what guides all of our interactions, all of our discussions, 
all of our appointments. And so in that in identifying those roles and responsibilities, we want to know, you know, what's the client responsibility? What's the advisor responsibility? We also want to identify if there's any restrictions uh, in, in the investment philosophy or in the investments that we may use. Uh, we also want to identify who are some of the people that are going to help us along this journey, whether that be your tax preparation person, you know, an estate planning attorney, or maybe somebody who helps you with insurance planning. So really what we're trying to do in the first five steps is really, you know, again, identify your goals, talk about your resources, look at your controllable action items, talk about the, the allocation and the rate of return that we're going to need in your risk tolerance, come up with our rule book, because step number six well, is... Well, hold on. I want to pause you there. Before you get to step six, is you're, you're on a roll here, and you just said two different things that I, I we have to circle back to. So the first one is you're talking about what you can control and what you can't. And an investment policy statement in the past would be talking a lot more about investments and things like that, which are outside of your control. Now, Scott, I, I know that you're going to agree with me on this because you can't control the market. Is that a fair statement? Absolutely. So you want not only you with your investment policy statement that you work with a client, but you also want your clients to understand what you can control and what you can't. And, and I think that is a really, really big difference. But you also said something here in number five, which is your rule book, when you talked about the different details and the different sections of, of that rule book, but you said restrictions, if any. And um, I don't really understand what that means. So what do you mean? What is a client going to tell you that could possibly be a restriction? So sometimes with a client, um, it might be uh, a company stock that they already have so much assets in that they're trying to diversify over the long run, that there may be a restriction in the portfolio that we're not going to buy any more of that one company stock. It may be in a restriction that we put as a financial advisor. There's just certain things we won't do in terms of specific investments, whether that's, uh, you know, in, in our particular case, whether that's um, options trading, you know, whether it might be hedge funds or other things like that. There's some certain things that we just don't believe in. And so like a client who has their own investment policy statement, you know, they're, they're what I believe about their journey. As a financial advisor, I have my own what I believe. And that's essentially, you know, what our website is about. And when we meet with clients, we try to talk about those things. But that the restrictions are really, it's two ways. It's, it's what the client might have. Uh, can be a company stock, could be some bad experiences that they've had uh, that we need to know about. And it can also be those similar kinds of things that we may have as an advisor, which I think are important to identify and get on the investment policy statement. So <clears throat> this also gives you the great opportunity to, to and you just really <clears throat> launched us right into uh, uh, your plan for bad weather, which is number six. So, yeah, yeah. so you know, uh, with the rule book and everything, and again, you know, we bad weather is a very subjective thing. And I'm going to just very quick digression here. I live in Michigan, right? And I, I know you don't. And, uh, you know, it's 42 degrees here. So if it was 42 degrees where you live, uh, what would happen? Uh, we would all be uh, gathering around the fireplace and, and, and not knowing what to do, right? Yeah, my kids um, wore shorts to school today. So, so and yeah. that's not me being a bad parent. It's just Michigan is very, very different. So that's my rule book, right? That's a different rule book than you live by. And I love the fact that you bring that up as a financial professional and a CFP that 
you are going to be flexible. Now, there are parts that you're going to put parameters on, right, which you just talked about. There are certain things that you don't do, but it's good to have that conversation with the clients and what they're not going to do either. Um, so let's launch into number six. So uh, I'm going to recap real quick. Number one was your goals. Number two, your resources. Number three, your controllable items. Your number four, your desired rate of return. Uh, number five, which is your rule book. And these are the seven parts of an IPS. So what's number six? Yeah, it's, and it's your plan for bad weather. We, we always know that bad weather is coming. It absolutely is. There's no question. We just don't know when. And, and so what are you going to do if the market drops 10%? You know, how does your investment policy inform your decision? Because you want to have a plan for bad weather. What are you going to do if the market drops 20%? Are you going to change your allocation? Are you going to take a detour? Are you going to you know, step off the road for a little bit? Now, you might not want to do the, those things. Uh, they might not be in your best long-term interest. But if there's a something that happens, I, I think having a plan for that bad weather is going to make it easier to know what to do so that you're not reacting in the moment. You know, that's where the investment media really does us a disfavor sometimes when the market takes those normal drops, those normal corrections that we have. And we've talked about that in other podcasts. Sometimes it's the headlines are, you know, doom and gloom, and, and you don't need to be responding to that. You need to understand that you've got a long-term journey, and you want to be focused on that, not the short-term items. You also want to know what's going to happen if there's a sudden change in your life. Maybe it's unemployment. Maybe it's unexpected needs from some of your kids. Who knows what it might be? But, but you want to have a plan for those, those items that might come up in, in terms of bad weather. And I think... Having it written down, having mm -hmm. it discussed with your advisor uh, is really critical because then when it happens, you, you know what you're going to do. Scott, so. you said earlier about behavioral finance, and we have talked about that in, in podcasts past on these these Better Wealth Enlightened Discipline podcast, podcasts. But if you wouldn't mind, let's circle back to that for a minute because bad weather is when most consumers, most clients of yours, or most people who are doing well, they're not clients of yours, they're do-it-yourselfers, let's just be honest. That's when they freak out, right? So how does your plan for bad weather really bring us back to that rate of return and behavioral finance? Well, I think what it does is it shows us um, what long-term results have been in the past and how we might be able to understand what's going to happen going forward. And, and again, it's those controllable action items. You know, it's just really understanding the ups and downs of the journey that you're going to have, knowing that sometimes you're going to hit some traffic jams. And when you hit that traffic jam, you know, you've always seen, you know, the lane next to you seems like it's going faster and so you get over into the other lane you make a change and then next thing you know the lane that you just left is going on by right and and so what you don't want to do is do that with your investments you don't want to be you know buying and selling and trying to make changes in the moment you've got a long-term plan we know we might hit some traffic jams but don't be you know changing and going over to the fast lane just to try to catch up when you know that your lane's going to get there uh, just as fine so I think, you know, understanding that behavioral finance component to this, uh, again, writing it down is, is really critical. You know, it's, it's just understanding that you have a plan for when things don't go as you expected. So how often do you sit down with your clients and review their investment policy statement? Yeah, so that's a great question because our investment policy statement is really a combination of about 
three or four different things that I think a lot of firms might use. And so, you know, because it is that, it's really the, the number one thing that we're looking at in every appointment. Um, so when we get together with clients, we're sort of saying, hey, here's that, that investment policy statement, you know, we've talked about, and let's look at that, let's reaffirm where we're at. Now we might go off and look at some other tangents, but that's our main thing that we're looking at and where we start from in every appointment. Um, in terms of the nuts and bolts, you also want to make sure, you know, this is um, step seven, the last one, you want to have two things, what I call is your checkup and your backup plan. So, you know, how often are you going to check the status of this? So even though we might look at it every appointment, you know, how many times a year are we going to get get together and look at this? Is it semi-annual appointments? Is it, you know, uh, try, you know, three appointments a year? How many times are we going to check in in face? Or are we going to check in over the phone or on, on Skype or something like that? Mm -hmm. um, how many times are we going to be looking at rebalancing? We've had a great podcast on rebalancing already that, that I'll refer you back to. But mm -hmm. essentially with rebalancing, you want to be looking at the portfolio, uh, you know, every couple weeks, but you really don't want to rebalance it you know, maybe once or twice a year. Mm -hmm. So as long as you have that in your IPS, that's great. And then I always say the backup plan too is a part of number seven, because mm -hmm. what happens if you can't finish the trip? You know, so we do want to make sure that we've identified and let clients know about, you know, their, their resources that they have devoted to life insurance, disability insurance, maybe some benefits provided by their employer, other things like that. You know, so in, in some, this investment policy statement is really sort of looking at, hey, this is where I'm going. These are the supplies I need to get there. This is what I need to do along the way to get there. These are the roads and the speeds we're gonna take. These are the rules we're gonna follow. You know, if we hit bad weather, this is our plan. And this is when we're gonna stop and, and check in to get gas, change our oil, get some food, other things like that. So I think if investors had that, wow, I think that's a lot more meaningful in terms of understanding where they're trying to go and how they're going to get there than these, you know, 20, 30 page documents that are a lot more legalese and a lot more CYA for the advisor than mm -hmm. they are for something real for the client. Scott, you've taken us through these seven steps and told us what should be in an investment policy statement and what really does separate you uh, from the other advisor down the street but what is not in an IPS? So you've talked about all the stuff that should be there. Now, can you give us an idea on what shouldn't or isn't necessary to be in an IPS? Yeah, that's a, a really good point, Matt. I, I think the, the investment policy statement in some ways needs to be the 30,000 elevation you know, view. It's not going to have all the individual details. We're not going to be able to identify you know, specific withdrawal strategies in retirement or you know how different accounts behave and how some might have one allocation compared to a different allocation so it's not a detailed financial plan it's not a detailed retirement projection that you might have it's taking the the sort of key items from those other reports and putting it into a living document that i think you know you can look at uh, when things are going well when things aren't going well or just to reaffirm um, so it, it's not you have those other reports that you should have and that you've spent in great detail analyzing uh, and, and with your advisor, but but it's not the investment policy statement. It seems pretty straightforward, right? And it not only beneficial to you uh, as a financial advisor, because, you know, if bad weather happens or there's a hiccup or they hear a headline, you can have this be almost like a hard reset button, right? Scott, you can say, okay, Mr. and Mrs. Johnson, we just, you know, let's grab your IPS and let's, let's talk about this because, you know, this is why we built this IPS. My question is, 
why aren't other advisors using an IPS or creating an IPS like you are talking about today? Yeah, you know, um, again, I, I think it really has to do with compliance. And we're going to talk about this on our next podcast when we talk about, you know, how you should identify a coach or a teacher to really help you with some of this. But as a little sort of intro into that, it's really what I call the difference between the suitability standard and the fiduciary standard. Now, those are some someone sometimes hard words to, to understand in our industry, but um, it's really the difference between being product focused uh, with a solution for a client and being advice focused. So, um, well, which one's uh, which? Hold on. Yeah, yeah. Give us more on that. Well, if, if you are a, a lot of structures in our industry are set up to where you have to identify whether a different product that may you may use for a client is suitable for them. Whereas other um, structures in our you know, industry are set up to be, is this in the best interest of my client ahead of myself? A lot of it has to do with how advisors are compensated, but a lot of it has to do with the structures that are set up. And so I guess my point is that sometimes the structures historically in, in Wall Street or in broker-dealer firms or even for, for different advisors, the structures are set up such that they have um, – have a role to do only what is suitable for a client, not necessarily what's in the client's best interest. And as a result, you know, they have a compliance function that works to support that. And so sometimes that investment policy statement might have something in there that might not be as product friendly as what a fiduciary role might be. Because in a fiduciary role, we're standing back and we're looking first at where do you want to go? How are you going to get there? What are the resources you have? All those different things. And then we're saying, okay, now, what are the things that can really help you on your journey versus somebody else sort of saying, here's here's something that we should start with. Here's a here's a product. And now the compliance function is all about making sure that that you're suitable for that. And in many ways, the IPS has grown up out of this industry that says, really, this is much more about, well, here's what here's the product that we have, and this product now has these limitations. Mm -hmm. So let's identify how we're going to manage these limitations in an investment policy statement and have all this legalese in here. Um, and so it's sort of the investment policy statement has sort of become something else that sort of says, hey, really what we're doing is we're managing expectations of our product that you're using, not managing expectations of the journey of where you want to go. And I think that's a, a fundamental point of view difference. And that's what we're going to talk about um, in selecting the right financial advisor. So s give us uh, give us the seven parts of an IPS again, and let's just run through those real quick before we wrap up today. Yeah. So again, your first, um, first step is identifying your goals. Uh, number two is uh, identifying your resources that you have. Number three is uh, identifying your controllable action items. I love that. Number four is understanding the allocation and the desired rate of return that you're going to use to get to your journey, how fast you're going to go, how slow. The rule book is going to talk about some of the details uh, about fees and expenses, really important things in our industry too. Number six is your plan for bad weather. And number seven is how often are you going to check up and also your backup plan. Fantastic. So before we leave, um, would you mind sharing with our listeners today how they can get in contact with you uh, directly? Uh, and then I'll go ahead and wrap it up. Yeah, sure, Matt. You know, we have our website, uh, 
www.betterwealth.us. So that's the best place to go. You can give us a call and uh, send an email. One of the things that, that, that I've done uh, always in my career is what I call the, the complimentary second opinion service. Mm -hmm. There's lots of times where I'm just um, sitting down with somebody on a phone call who may or, or may not be interested in working with us. And, you know, we're just happy to give them uh, some advice, have them get to know us a little bit. And if it doesn't work out, that's fine too. Happy to, to pay it forward a little bit, if you will. Um, so give us a call and send us an email and we'll be happy to talk about your personal situation. Fantastic. That's it for today's Better Wealth Podcast. I'm Matt Hallen for Scott Stoffer. Please make sure to follow us at betterwealth.us. And when you're ready to have an advisor who is focused on doing what works better for your success, Scott and his team are available to chat in person, on the phone, or on a video conference. Have a wonderful day.